Please be seated. Well, good afternoon. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, we're going to jump right in to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 18 through 22. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. I do need to take a couple of announcements before you're getting there, looking it up, turning there, whatever the case might be. I just want to point, point out something to you. This incredible structure behind me is a um, designed to get water and protect our worship team created by none other than Laird Hepburn and Zane Hepburn. So let's give them a shout right now, okay? So I, th- sitting right here up to my right, your left, is uh, father-son duo and uh, engineer extraordinaires to allow our worship team to have shade, have warmth, and have no water. So um, hopefully we, we've, we've made that uh, arrangement. So thanks to those guys as well. I also want to make sure that you're aware of something very clear as we go through and as we teach the Bible. Whoever is teaching the Bible, whether it's in life group or up here on Sundays, our main desire is that you would be a disciple who makes disciples. First and foremost, a disciple of Jesus is what Jesus wants you to be. That's your goal in life. That's what you're designed here to be. That's who you are. And then what are you designed to do? To make other disciples. So we are disciples making disciples, and that's why we are here, and that's why we do. Now, a disciple is someone who trusts, loves, and obeys Jesus. A disciple is someone who trusts, loves, and obeys Jesus. Now, you're going to say that right now, okay? A disciple is someone who trusts loves, and obeys Jesus. And so if you're a disciple maker, someone who is making disciples, then you are helping someone else to trust, love, and obey Jesus. You are so good, okay? So that's really what we're trying to do. So so therefore, everything that we're trying to do, whether it's through our gatherings under the tent in whatever way, shape, and form that looks like, it's a small group, it's a discipleship group, it is Sunday, morning, Sunday afternoons like we're here right now or a Sunday morning life group that was here earlier today. Whatever the case is, that is what we want to be about. Disciples making disciples, helping people and ourselves to trust, love, and obey Jesus. Now, our text this morning has a lot to do with that goal. Every text in the Bible has a lot to do with that goal. And I think you'll see it pretty obvious as we jump into um, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 22. Uh, Really, our text this this afternoon is telling us really something really specific. It's telling us that as a disciple, if it's God's will for you to suffer for doing the right thing, I want you to know where you can have strength when and if God chooses for you to suffer for his sake. He says, I want you to be reminded that this is where your, your strength comes from in the midst of God allowing some suffering to take place. Now, personal suffering may be a little foreign to you and I, but to Peter and Paul, who, who, were, who, who were used by God to, to write a lot of the New Testament here, especially uh, Paul himself, they understood that it was normal for you to suffer for doing the right thing. 
Even Jesus himself says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. So persecution and suffering for doing the right thing was, was normal to Peter. It wasn't abnormal. And, and so when we take a look here, we have to understand and realize that even in God's sovereign plan in our life, we, we see in this text where our strength comes from, if God so chooses, you are going to suffer for doing the right thing. Where does your hope come from? Where does your strength come from? And so we're gonna take a look at that text. Now, I, I need to sort of give you a, an update of where we went last week. Last week, we talked about um, what happens. Don't fear when trouble comes among you. And then Peter just gave this bold declaration. Listen, I want you to be ready to give an answer for a defense, for the hope that's within you. Uh, my buddy, Jimmy Hartsfield. Some of you know Jimmy Hartsfield. Jimmy Hartsfield is a true man of God. He is a disciple of King Jesus. He is a good friend. And for the last six or seven months, Jimmy's been going through stage three colon cancer treatment. He is on an incredible high dose of chemotherapy. And on December the 2nd, Jimmy got to go back and sit in his office where he works uh, in, in, um, in Lillington, um, excuse me, in Anger, to sell cars, which is what he does for a living. And I talked to Jimmy this week. He called me to check on me. Jimmy, who has stage three cancer, called to check on me. I just want to make sure you're doing okay, man. I said, Jimmy, I'm doing fine. I said, Jimmy, how are you? He said, listen, I've had so many good opportunities for when people ask me, how are you doing, to tell them that the Lord Jesus has been good to me. And when I'm reviewing what, what was talked about last week to be ready to give an answer, I could think of one person, that's Jimmy. I could think of just Jimmy who's ready. He said, man, I got back to work. My old customers were waiting to see me. My, my coworkers are waiting to see me. And I could just give, I just wanted to give testimony to the hope that I have in Christ and how he's been so good to me, Matt, because he has. Hey, I'll talk to you next week, okay? He goes, I got you, dog. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that was an encouragement for that verse. So let's, let's jump in to, um, to verse 18. Uh, I'm gonna point out verse 19 is, is very difficult to understand. And so in order for us to handle the roses of the text instead of the thorns of the text, I have decided because of our time to allow you to click on the sites in the Worship Center app to talk about verse 19. They have been discussing what verse 19 means for years, and there's a lot of good people out there today that really don't understand that verse, and I don't want that to distract us. And so I've given you some study materials, a website from the Gospel Coalition, a website from John Piper to help you understand verse 19 that we're not gonna really jump into today. So I'm gonna read the text, 18 to 22, and let's see what it says. Verse, verse 18, chapter three of 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once. Circle that word. Highlight that word. Don't forget that word. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, 
while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to, to him. There's three things that I think our text really shows us that we're gonna be able to see this morning. It's in our outline. The, how are we strengthened when God chooses that we should suffer for doing right? The gospel, we have two examples and we have the victory. And let's talk about each three of those. First of all, verse 18 is so clear that it is the gospel message in that one verse. I would even encourage you to maybe commit this verse to memory. I, 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 I made mention when I read this verse that it says that Christ also suffered once for sins. You recognize that Old Testament forgiveness of sins, there was a constant sacrifice of an animal to get the forgiveness of sins. We call this the day of atonement, where you get forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice of an animal. And Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and the entire Bible, came to take care of the debt that was ours and paid it in full. He didn't leave the tank half empty, he came to pay that completely. And here's, here's one, of the, one of the most really dangerous situations to you and I as believers. One of the most dangerous tactics of Satan in the midst of suffering is to try and convince you or show you that God has forgotten you. That's one of the most dangerous tactics of, of Satan is to sit there and for you to believe or to think that the God of the universe has forsaken or forgotten when there are things that he allows through his sovereign hand to come into your life even when we were doing the right thing. And so this verse wraps us up to remember something as we do suffer for doing the right, the right thing. We remember the beautiful gospel. And as I was studying this week, I was going, you know, I really feel like we as a church have been talking about the message of the gospel a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Laird. <laughs> Laird said, good. And I would sit there and I would say, I don't want to ever, as a church, as a pastor, as a leader, to get over or beyond that message. It is beautiful. It is true. And this is what he did. In that verse, it says, what did he do? The righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do all that? The second part of the verse says that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What God said that he was going to do to take care of us, to redeem us, to buy us back, to what the Hyatts just said so clearly, that we would be adopted. Christ did that once and for all. And in the midst of the situation or circumstance that you find yourself in or that we find ourselves in, and there are a lot of situations if we're honest right now, we recognize, we draw strength in the thing that does not change. And that is the God of creation sent his one and only son when he saw fit that it was time to become sin so that we 
might be made righteous and live with God, that we might bring, he might bring us to God. I was in my driveway the other day walking. I had parked on the street and I was coming out to my car and my new neighbors were coming out to see me. They were actually coming for a walk and they stopped to see me. I don't think they were just coming to see me. <laughs> they stopped and we had a good conversation and they asked me, they said, Matt, are you in IT? Are you in the military? What do you do for a living? I said, well, I, I am a pastor and so I have the opportunity to teach the Bible on a weekly basis. And he said, I have, a, I need to tell you something. I have read the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. And his wife said, stop talking about religion. It's going to divide us. And he said, she, he said, I have come to realize that this Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, says the exact same things as my Quran. And I know you're dying to know what I said. And I said, you know what? I think it would be an incredible opportunity for you and I to be able to sit down and talk about what Jesus had to say that's recorded in the Bible. And we can do that respectfully. And his wife, Samir, said, that's what we should do. <laughs> and so I'm telling you this right now that it does not say the same thing. This message is clear that it is Jesus Christ who came to us to suffer once and for all. He paid it in full, and he did that to bring us to God. He didn't do that so that we could come to God. He brought us to God. You've heard us say that a thousand times. We did not come to him. He came to us, and I'm grateful for that. That is the gospel, and that is the strength that we have in and through persecution that God may will that we go through. Uh, uh, the second thing that I think that you can see in the text is he gives two examples, I think, that will help us and even help the audience that he was writing to remember what the, the message of the gospel was all throughout scripture. It began in, Genesis, it began in the beginning in Genesis chapter three, where God said there was gonna be one who's gonna, gonna bruise your head. He would bruise your heel, that there would be an adversary that come, but he is defeated and he will be put in his place in due time. So he first says, I want you to be, I want you to remember the gospel. That's in verse 18. Verses 20 and 21, this is what he says. He gives us two examples. 20, he says, because the formerly did not obey when God's, because they did not obey God, because of when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So we can go through the days of Noah and we can sit there and ask the question, well, what in the world was Noah there to do? Noah was there to build an ark. There was a flood that was coming and it took 120 years for Noah to build that big boat. In the middle of that time, Noah was telling everybody who would even listen to say, you need to be warned. You need to be warned. God's patience was so gracious to them over the 120 years it took for Noah to build that boat. 120 years. And I believe that Noah was there through the power of God's spirit resting on him and he was speaking to them 
about our relationship, about being redeemed, about, about being saved, about being on the boat and getting on the boat. And there was, there was on the ark, there was one door that you could get in and he was exercising and telling and teaching and proclaiming. You, you, you need to get on this boat. And he uses them, he uses this situation to demonstrate and to remind them of God's grace and his faithfulness unto the message that he gave to us. And, and, and he would say, if God is going to allow you to suffer, if he's going to allow you to suffer, it does not mean that he's forgotten about you or that he's not good. What it does mean, what it does mean is that he is a faithful God, he is a good God. And right there in the text, he says, I wanna give you strength in the midst of that. I wanna give you a strength because of the gospel. I wanna remind you of what I did in the days of Noah. Obviously, Noah and his eight, his eight family members went on the, the boat and the rest were destroyed. It's an, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable declaration of God's grace and God's wrath that he is so good in the midst of both. He also gives an example of baptism. Now, let's just make sure we understand that baptism does not save you. Baptism is a declaration that you are saved that you are saved, that you are a follower of God. Who are the ones to get baptized? It says, once and for all sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us. Who is the us in verse 18? Who is the us? The us is represented by those that have said, I am a sinner, I need to be saved. I will follow him in believer's baptism, which is a declaration to my faith community that I have a relationship with Jesus. I have been saved, I've been redeemed, I have been adopted. And he's saying those right there, it's a declaration that you are a follower of Jesus. He gives us that example. Baptism simply does not save us. Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward change. I remember sitting across the table from a young, uh, a young child one time, probably eight or 10 years old, and I looked at him and I was trying to explain baptism to this young little guy. I can't remember exactly who it was. I've done this several times. And I took my ring right here, wedding ring, off of my finger. And I said, I need to ask you a question. What does this ring mean? And he went, I don't know. <laughs> I went, work with me. And so I said, this ring right here means that I am married. And Miss Dana teaches you on Sunday mornings for uh, our Sunday uh, program, Northwest Kids. And he said, it means that I'm married. It means that I love my wife. It's a testimony. It's a symbol of my love for her. So I took my ring off and I put it in the palm of his hand. And I said, I got to ask you a question. Am I still married? He said, nope. <laughs> I was like, ugh. <laughs> he said, you're not married to Dana anymore. But you get the, yeah, I'm trying to get with the picture. What we're doing is baptism is an, it's a proclamation. It is a testimony that I have been redeemed, that I have been adopted by King Jesus. And in the midst of this suffering, I want to remember that this is what happened to me, that he died, that he rose again, and that I've accepted that free gift. And I am in. I am in. And that's what he's saying. That's what strengthens you. That's what can strengthen you. And I don't want you to forget that. And another thing that he goes and says, here's the third thing that he goes and talks about in terms of our strength. What does he talk about in our strength? He said the gospel, he gave us two examples, and then he comes down to the victory. I don't know of anybody in the world that doesn't want to win. 
They want to win. I don't like losing when I play pickleball. And we, we play a sport, we play a video game, or we play whatever that we're doing. We want to win. And here is a declaration in the midst of God's sovereign allowance of you suffering for his sake and his name. He's sitting here saying, please remember the gospel. Please remember what I did with, 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 with uh, Noah and what I've done in, through baptism in your life. And please don't ever forget where King Jesus sits. In verse 20, verse 22, it says this, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Here is, the, the, here is what we must understand. We will have a tendency when we are not spiritually led to believe that God has forgotten us, that God is abandoning us, and that we're suffering, and it doesn't make a difference. And what he's sitting here saying, saying, at the end of the day, King Jesus is victorious. I don't want you to forget about the beautiful victory that is secure, that you cannot take away. And I want that to encourage you in the midst of a very dark season. It is a victory. Jesus, where does he sit? He sits at the right hand of the Father. Isaiah 41.10 says, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God declaring that to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah. I have to ask you a question. Who sits at the right hand of God? That's right, King Jesus. So when he looks at those the Israelites through Isaiah, when Isaiah says this, he's saying to them right there, I'm going to give you my very best. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my very best so that you will not lose hope or lose sight and that you will remember the gospel, you will remember these past examples of Noah and baptism, and you will remember the victory that is yours. Hold on to it. I, I thought a couple of ways. I'm gonna ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way up. I thought of a couple of ways. You know, you know what we're trying to understand right now as disciples who are making disciples what are we trying to understand? We're trying to understand, God, how do I hold on and how do I have strength? How do I have hope in the midst of you allowing me to be persecuted for the right, right things? How do I do that? And we've said it very clearly, the gospel, the examples, and the victory. And, and, and this is a book that is written by Paul David Tripp. He has um, influenced my life in, in a great way. This right here is a book of prayers that he has written. And sometimes, oftentimes, when I feel like I am struggling in my prayer life, I turn to this book because it puts into words that I just can't find. It puts, puts words into my thoughts that I just can't find. And as I was sort of praying how to end the service and and all the things that are going on and all the things that have happened this past week, I, I wanted to close with this prayer that Paul David Tripp wrote called The City. And I'm hoping that this prayer would be used by God to help us and shape us to remember some things that are fixed, that are true, 
and that are not going to change. And that is the victory that we have in Christ. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to read this and maybe pray this, but I, I would love for you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and concentrate on the words of this prayer that's titled The City. The city that surrounds me seems broken beyond repair. Lost ones wander the streets, evil lurks in the alleys. Sadness afflicts households, grief omits no one. Labor does not satisfy. Victories seem short at best. Satisfaction evades the hungry, contentment fades away. Here's the good news. But there's a city that is coming. Grace has written my name there. The right to enter earned by no one. The right to stay no one deserves. The son is the gate of entry. His blood, the price that was paid. That city gives hope to my journey. That city brings comfort to my care. That city awakens me in the morning. That city gives strength for the day. That city gives answers to my questions. That city gives reason to my efforts. That city gives rest when I am weary. That city gives me peace to sleep. For I was made for that city. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to recognize and realize that we are simply aliens. This is not our home. We are exiles, as Peter has said. And to arm us as exiles in this city that is not our home, would you help us to fix our eyes on what you did on the cross? That gospel message truly is good news. Help us to see the gospel through the story of, of Noah. Help us to see the gospel declared in someone's baptism and help us to recognize the victory that is ours. We are a joint heir with you. You said we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of your possession. May we live with the hope that you have given to us. May we not lose sight today because of the disparity of this city, but help us to look forward to that city. In the meantime, God, my prayer is that you would arm us to be witnesses, that you would arm us to be gentle, to be respectful. You would arm us to love, arm us with the beautiful message of unconditional love that you so died for and you so demonstrated. And as we sing to you here in just a minute, may you be glorified as we sing to you and as David comes to close down our service with a prayer. We love you, we thank you, and I thank you for allowing Peter to encourage us to have strength in the midst of suffering because it is for your will that we do that and help us to do that graciously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.